Welcome to the River Downstream, our podcast. This week, you're getting a bonus episode in preparation for the February 25th service. To get caught up with where our partnership in Zambia was at last year and the projects they were working on, this is the podcast version of that live streamed service. You can go back one episode to our HSR panel discussion for this week's announcements. Now over to our Zambia team. So today, uh, we're just going to be sh- uh, giving a presentation about uh, kind of the history, what's the partnership like, what did we actually do on the ground, what did that look like, um, and then uh, kind of some uh, outcomes, uh, some sharing of that, and a, a bit of a recap at the end, and uh, that's going to kind of cover the next 30 minutes or so, I think. So this is a church that um, shows it's 1940, it was established, it was established um, in by some white people that went there. But I'd like you to know that Madzimoyle, I gotta tell you first that I constantly mispronounce that name. Madzimoyle, that's the way to say it. Can you all say it with me? Madzimoyle, Madzimoyle. All right, thank you. So if I say it wrong, again. I'll tell them, don't worry. Okay, (laughs) Okay, you don't have to, she will. So Madzimoyle, it was established long before any colonious ever showed up and it's been there forever uh, and a day and it's a beautiful place and I'm sure you'll see just how beautiful it is with the videos and the pictures Um, but um, we were welcomed by a men's choir at one point and we have an audio file of that so if you want you can close your eyes and listen to this um, recording of the men uh, singing about Madzimoyo. Those are them uh, welcoming us uh, to Madzimoyo and celebrating Madzimoyo. Um, and then uh, we entered into the scene, and maybe Melissa can give us a bit of a history and overview of uh, our engagement. Sure. Um, and just to note in the song, Madzimoyo, they were singing about it to welcome us, but also Madzimoyo itself is two words, which means water and living, like your life force. So that's what Madzimoyo means. So you do hear it quite a bit in a lot of her because it is about the spirit living inside you. So, so the, the overview of the partnership could take more than half an hour. So I will be very succinct in what I, what I share. Um, in 2007, we sent a scouting group over to Zambia to see if it was somewhere that we wanted to partner with. And we had a few reasons for choosing Zambia. One of them is that um, Central America is saturated with churches who want to do development and mission work for us to get to, but there's also over-representation of church groups there. If you start moving farther out, 
to Zambia or places like that, there's very, very few partners. So we liked the opportunity that that presented for a long-term partnership. We also really liked that because um, there's like 74 different tribal languages spoken in Zambia. Their official language is English. So it made it very easy for us to try to establish a partnership there. So we went in 2007 to investigate to see if it was somewhere that we could see a partnership working. And then in 2008, a huge team went. There was 10 of us that traveled to Madsenoyo to uh, establish how the partnership was going to work and to see the work that was already being done on the ground that we were going to come alongside them with. We have been through many ups and downs with the partnership. We have been the longest standing member representation of the partnership because there have been so many staff changes on the ground in Zambia. We were listing them while we were there. It's probably over 10 for World Renew. It's at least that many for RCZ. So we have been the constant in the partnership, which affords us a lot of flexibility in how the partnership works because the organizations trust us because we've been coming for so long and we've kept our word for so long that there's really a strong relationship that's been established because of that. Uh, but at one of the low points in the partnership with staffing and the way things were going in 2015, a team of four of us went over and we sort of dismantled it. It was a terrible trip. We had to go and rip apart everything that had been going on and redesign how that was going to go. And we did that trip start to finish in eight days. Yeah, so we were on the ground for like four days. Two days flying on each end, four days there, tear apart the partnership and come home. It was, it was terrible. Um, but by the time we got back in early 2017, things were changing and they were looking hopeful and we were seeing very, very positive changes and we had a good team being built on the ground. And I can report today that thankfully the last two years we haven't been able to travel. We haven't, you know, we've had Zoom communication, but no in-person communication. But this was the most hopeful trip that we have ever had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. Thanks, thanks for that overview. Mm -hmm. So the partnership consists of three partners. One is World Renew, which is the arm of the Christian Reformed Church and uh, their interactions with international um, issues of uh, development and international relief, which is what uh, Pam and Henry Knoppers are engaged with right now, so that's World Renew. Uh, previously, they were known as CRWRC, uh, Christian Reform World Relief Committee, so if you have some history with the CRC, that's who they were before. Uh, we're then also joined with the Reformed Church in Zambia, and uh, so that whole um, denomination there of which, what did uh, Reverend Zulu say? How many churches was he looking after and how many people? It was thousands of churches and yeah. hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. The number 1,300 comes to mind, but 13 was a number that came up a lot in our trips <laughs> in some extensions or whatever. So a lot, of, a lot of churches there. And then, of course, the river. Um, here we are. Um, as the river. So we'd like to introduce uh, some of the people um, in this partnership. And the first one is um, Reverend Dr. William Zulu. He is the General Secretary of the Reformed Church of Zambia. You could add a little bit more about this guy. You know him the longest. So <laughs> This guy is amazing. He's, I don't know how many of you have uh, traveled to Africa, but pastors are so revered there. They're put on a pedestal. They're like barely short of Jesus. And this man is the most humble man that you will ever meet. We have seen him stop on the side of the road and lift old ladies into the back of his truck to make sure they have a ride. We have seen him get down on his knees to greet people who can't stand to greet him. It is an unbelievable thing to witness in that culture. It, he has a beautiful soul. And the reason that things have been so hopeful and growing so well is because he is the head guy of the entire church in Zambia. And he is pushing this program that we've helped 
to, to design. Like he is the one, he's got the program in the seminaries now. So every pastor that's being trained, program that we helped push out six years ago. It's incredible. He's, he's pretty wonderful. Just a, a great guy to be around. Yeah. He's always laughing. Yes, he is. Yeah. Next is Oliver uh, Wakelin. He's a country director with uh, World Renew uh, Zambia, and he's based in Lusaka, which is the capital city in Lusaka. So any of you who knew Rory, Rory came to preach a couple times. This is who replaced Rory because Rory is now working in Southeast Asia. So Oliver is our new Rory, and he started Lucky Guy in February of 2020. So yes. this is the first time we got to meet him and, and go out and see the programs with him. Mm-hmm. And then there is uh, Lemon Chip Watali. He is our program advisor for World Renew, and he is based in Lalongwe. Lalongwe is in? Malawi. Malawi. And so he uh, traveled over, uh, Henry and Pastor Malawi, and then he came with them as well. Any further to say on Lemon? Lemon seems to be providing really great leadership and oversight for our RCZ guys on the ground. He's been a really great addition to the team. Very knowledgeable, very um, introspective, I think. He, he pushes a lot of change from within the organization. Mm-hmm. And just to repeat, RCZ means the Reformed Church in Zambia, so that in case we continue to use that acronym, just want to highlight that. Next is uh, Benjamin uh, Peary. He's the project coordinator, and he is based in Chipata. Chipata is a town that is located just above Mazamoyo, which is where all uh, uh, we had most of our interactions, with, and he's based in Chipata. Yeah, so Benjamin is doing most of the -the on-the-ground work and has been for about uh, four or five years. So he's the one that's training all the facilitators in the programs that we will talk about shortly. Um, He's the one that's been driving the most direct change, running the nutrition demos and that sort of thing. Uh, And he's he's a very quiet guy. He's very joyful, uh, very strong in his faith. He's lovely to be around. And it's obvious that the people know him and know him well. They interact with him well in, in the different villages that we were at. Penius uh, Peary, he's the newest to be added to that team. He's the agricultural officer. So you should know that the last name Peary is like Smith or Jones. There's like <laughs> 9,000 Peary's. If you want to guess what somebody's name is, you just guess Peary. You might be wrong, but most of the time you're right. So they are not related. Um, but they did call themselves brothers. They did, yeah. Um, and Penius started in August, and he came alongside to help uh, Benjamin because Benjamin doesn't have training culture, so to speak. Like he's got some on the ground training, but Penius has a degree um, in agriculture. So he has been an amazing addition and he is the most passionate person I have ever met there for his job. Like he loves his job. Mm -hmm. He is so excited to be out in the villages. He's so excited to be working with the goats. Like he just, he's enthusiastic all the time. He, yeah, he's incredible. And he also, we got stuck doing a lot of our translating, and he did it very happily. Yeah. 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 And apparently very well. Yes, very well, because everybody who was testing him, I think, would nod and say, yeah, that's what they said. Yeah. <laughs> so next is uh, Faith uh, Chibonga. She's our World Renew Bridger, and she's based in Lalongwe, Malawi. So Faith is also new, and she was wonderful, lovely. Anybody who's traveled before, we've had various bridgers. We had Doreen, we had Alphonsius, we had 
uh, people whose names I can't remember because they were there for such a short time. Faith is really lovely, and she's been, she has a degree in tourism and the environment, and she's been so inspired by the work she's seeing at World Renew, going back to school. And this was her first engaged as a bridger, and so um, Benjamin and uh, Penius kind of carried a little bit so that they could see how that interaction happened and worked, and so I think we were a pretty good training ground for her. She didn't quit, and that's <laughs> something. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, what happened. Um, 2015, with the uh, village savings and loans uh, groups that uh, were started, they were first introduced, introduced in 2015 by World Renew, and then it takes a little while for it to gather some steam, and so it didn't really hit the ground in Madzimoyo until about 2018. And if you saw the uh, Facebook post that I put out, I, I showed this picture, I invited you to zoom in and you could look at it closely, but there are five stages to a village um, savings and loans group. And the first is to form a group. And so you have to decide together. There was one a group that was a choir prior. They were the choir in their church. They decided to form a group. And then you have to pool money. Now, so this is different than my financing. This is not where we as a church or RCZ as a denomination gives them a pool of money. My start with, this is actually, they have to raise their own money to put into this pool of money. And so there were even some young boys that said they wanted to be part of the group, so they went out to work for money so that they could put it into the savings group and then engage. Once the money is then pooled, you can then either take out loans for communal or individual projects, um, and then there's a repayment of the loans that comes with interest uh, out of the uh, that happen, and there's an accounting for it, and and all the proceeds are shared amongst every. But the beauty of this, I mean, this is this is really empowering for people to kind of take control of their money and not just think about today. Um, often we were uh, told about if you give them some quatches, which is their dollar. Uh, they're called quatches. If you give them some quatches, they'll just go out and spend it right away. And they're not, they're not really thinking about tomorrow. So the village savings and loans really introduced this whole idea of thinking about the future. A hidden gem, I don't know if they knew this was going to happen or not, but as the groups then developed and growed, growed? <laughs> it is today. So um, uh, there was a need for other training. And so then Benjamin and company would then come in with other training that we could then give to them according to where their needs were that day. Rather than trying to front load it, it was wait till the need arises, then provide them with training. And so we'll talk about a little bit more about that uh, a little later on. Um, but that was just really a gem, a, a kind of a, a hidden but beautiful outcome of these uh, teaching people about village savings and loans. Wait, let's uh, roll this next little video. So two things to note in there is uh, one is the condition of the roads um, caused by rain and the excess of rain and the washing away and of the roads and so on. But also the other thing to note is how green it is there. And that's on account of the rain as well. And so we were there in what's called the emerald season. Emerald because it's green and it's lovely and it's lush. And uh, you'll probably see more of that as well. So let's uh, talk a little bit about what happens inside of these villages. I just wanted to add on too, before I talk specifically about gender training, is that the VSLAs is the program that um, the River has sponsored through RCZ since 2015. And what we sponsor in that is the training and also the lockbox for the money and for each person who contributes so that record keeping. Uh, and that program has been so powerful, as Dale said, that we've been able to use it other training. And one of the trainings that they've been doing, there's savings groups already so far, and we don't have capacity actually to expand more than that requires training and oversight, right? So we, and there's people who want it, we just, we can't provide it at this point in time. So it's been a very well-received program. 
and through that we get this other platform. So one of the things that they're doing right now is gender training, which is huge. And so when we were in the villages, we would hear gender training, and they said repeatedly, once we knew our roles, then we weren't fighting anymore. And I was like, okay, but who told you what your role And I was really worried about what the gender training was taught. If it was women do this work and men do this work, then I had some problems with it. So I got Benjamin, what is this training that we are giving on gender? And he said, no, it's basically teaching the husband and wife to communicate and decide together who's going to do what, who's going to be responsible for what, and then how the money is going to work so that there's harmony in the house. So it's not about assigning each gender a role, it's basically about teaching them how to communicate in their marriage. And the one village, well all the villages said it was transformational for them, mm -hmm. every single one, and then the one was really honest with us and said, at first there was mixed feelings, the men didn't like it, because mostly if you've been there, you see the women work sundown, and the men, I don't know, maybe do a little bit, and then they sit on the porch and drink beer. So it was very... Um, shocking, I think, for the mm -hmm. men that they had to, you know, step up and do these things. But now that they've done it, it's incredible because the men are saying it's changed everything so much. It's not so stressful. We're not fighting. We have money. It's, it's amazing. And so I, we pictures because you can see this top village we went to when we got a women turn on one side, the men are on the other, right? But in the bottom, the men and women are intermingled, and that was the congregation that said there was mixed feelings, but now it's so much better. And they were sitting all together. So to be able to see that sort of change, really neat. There was some hesitancy of some women to bring men into the group because they, they said that the men have confusion of mind. <laughs> Good phrase to use uh, amongst your own uh, relationships at home. Are you suffering from confusion of mind right now? <laughs> But yep. we heard testimony from both sides, men and yep. women, how wonderful that training has benefited them, how much, as you use the word harmony, how yep. much has really benefited the household. And then not just the men and the women, but the head man of the whole village also giving testimony to uh, the, the impact that this gender role training has had on, on the whole village as a whole. So yep. just the one actually stood up and said, Thank you for bringing a mixed team to show us that you care about inclusivity too. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked <laughs> because we've never heard anything like that in the middle of these villages before. So the fact that we had equal representation of men and women on our team and they noticed, I think was important for us to consider for the future trips too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I venture into either as a group or on their own, but usually as a group is what they called piggery. It's basically raising pigs or pig farm. We saw several pig farms because this was a big business for them. So this picture includes the proud pig farmer. As I began to take a picture of uh, the pigs and the piglets, she just just stepped right in. She photobombed it, <laughs> if you will, but uh, she was very proud. Um, so I, we have a bit of a video to show you a little bit more of the, uh, the pigs. All right, pigs and piglets. So that's the, the Village Savings and Loans group taking their earnings together and investing in a business together. So instead of an individual business, they're also trying to raise more as well. Mm -hmm. Notice that I didn't have a picture of me holding a pig. <laughs> <laughs> that boar was having none of Dale trying to touch the piglets. It's true. <laughs> it's true. So there's also a bunch of the groups have poultry businesses. Uh, we got to see two of them in Chihuahua Village and Mwangazi. Um, and so basically they're 
same thing. They buy chicks and raise them and sell them for meat, and then they take the money, the profits, and they reinvest it back in chicks. So there's a little bit of a payout to each person in the group. We're always constantly reinvesting it to make sure there's still income coming in for each of them. And um, the board, actually, like the local board that we're going to talk about, had a poultry business since about 2019. Going. So they've had it for four years, and it just keeps it just keeps going and funding the activities of the board. Interesting thing is that there's two types of chicken in Zambia. There is broiler chicken, which is what you see on the picture here. These are broilers, but then there's also village chicken. And if you talk with a lot of locals, they would prefer the village chicken, which is the free-range roaming chicken. It's actually quite tough and sinewy, and so I would probably prefer the broiler. But So this is a kind of a new business for them, but the... the these birds, these broilers, are then sold in the marketplace and to restaurants and the likes. Okay, um, next one. Next one. Um, we got to see one goat operation. So there's you know, different groups are doing different things. And this, uh, the GMBK Zoe Savings Group in Wangazi Village also is choosing to raise goats. We were there shortly after some of the goats were born, which was very sweet. Get to see them. They still have their umbilical cords attached. This one that Penius is holding was like verbal. Um, but there's still things that we can see that need change. The goats themselves are great, but the goat herder that took him, what, half an hour to find probably, was seven years old. So he's spending all day out with the goats, keeping them out of trouble. And he's just this little tiny guy. You can go ahead and play the video. Fun, fun little goats. Um, one of the other projects, of course, is uh, farming. And the uh, in Madzimoyo are uh, groundnuts, which is the first one on your left. Uh, groundnuts. And also then, known as peanuts. Also known as... <laughs> Uh, where do they grow? Do they grow off of the vine or do they grow in the ground? In the ground. In the ground. That's why they call them ground nuts. <laughs> How many of you knew that? How many of you did not know that peanuts grew in the ground? Thank you for your honesty. Phew. <laughs> uh, so the next in the lineup is sunflower. And, um, and then the, next, the third one is soybeans and the last one is maize. And, and here we are actually looking at, with Penius, at a piece of ground that's really rocky. And because that's the kind of conditions of some soil in a lot of the villages, it's very rocky. And so he is uh, teaching them how to deal with that in rocky ground. And he's planted the plants really close together so that they take root, stabilize the soil, and then he starts to thin them out. So that way it gives them all a better chance of, of growth. So this was a bit of a demo plot where we took these pictures. And um, just, uh, just a, a lot of thought is being put into, okay, so you're going to be a farmer. What does that look like? How, what help do you need? And kind of go from there. So one of the programs that we have a platform to run through the VSLA program is conservation agriculture, which is so important because we're, we're working with farmers who are subsistence farmers, right? So if they're uh, just in this dish, right? Um, but they're introducing different concepts like... Uh, um, typically, I mean, if you look at the tomatoes, you can see how they're furrowed, and he's teaching them to not do that because then the, the water can't soak in and the plants aren't as nourished. So now they're changing even the way that they prepare the beds. Um, they're using a ripper, so they're not digging up the entire field and losing all those nutrients. As intrusive, uh, which is pretty basic, and living. So they're going to plant underneath the maize. They'll plant things like pumpkin. So there's ground cover, but it's also producing another crop for them. Um, he's opening up different markets for them, teaching them how to access different markets. So the tomatoes here that this uh, 
this VSLA group is choosing to do, tomatoes aren't in season right now. So the fact that they can grow them and they have, um, there's smaller plants off to the left you can see, so they're, they're doing different plantings to make sure that they're maturing at different times so that they can sell the tomatoes at a premium because they're not typically grown right now and they'll have a constant supply is the goal so that this group will always be earning income off of their tomatoes. And I mean, there's a million tomatoes there right now mm -hmm. but in a couple of weeks there won't be and then this will be the, the crop that can be sold so they're they're changing things as much as they can um, we also did meet with which is on the next slide this good nature agro company which is where they're getting seeds and this is a social enterprise uh, seed sharing really impressive operation that we went to see um, they even because they said that some people are selling seeds pretending to be good nature now that you can actually scan the tag on the bags and see what farmer grew the seeds like right down to like the little pot and chapata it was what does it say on there mrs peary of course is mrs peary <laughs> grew these seeds in this field and and um they're also doing uh, biochar with the the husks that come off of the seeds that they're they're shelling, um, which is a fertilizer that Penius is looking into to use in these very rocky soils to help build up the soil components. So, I mean, it's they've got a lot of good partnerships going on right now mm -hmm. and some really good business the way that it's working. So it was exciting to see how how much things are changing and how hopeful it is. Mm -hmm. Really lots of good skills and content of knowledge and information that's being transferred um, throughout all this training that's been given to these uh, VSLAs. So uh, yeah, just, just tremendous. And all this in the last five years mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So let's just talk a little bit about uh, the transformation of lives. This was like a huge theme, which we picked up on maybe because it's one of our values here at the mm -hmm. river but it, it was the local people who kept saying we are in this because we are seeing lives transformed the facilitators said over and over i do this work for free because we are seeing transformation in our villages mm -hmm. and they don't know that that's our our value <laughs> so they weren't plugging it so we keep supporting the programs they're just actually seeing this deep transformation on the ground it was a beautiful thing to see mm -hmm. so when we were with the villages we would we would ask them, okay, so give us some examples. Tell us how things are changing. This village, one of the women said, I could buy dishes, which is a very humbling thing for us to hear, right? That's how her life transformed, she could buy dishes. But in some of the other villages, they said things like, I bought clippers and now I have a barbershop. I was able to pay my kids' school fees two years in a row so they don't have to miss school. Some of the women talked about the fact that they now have a new house. Mm -hmm. They could afford to build a new house. The, the bricks are made locally, um, but just you need all the materials, you need all the time and the effort. And, and uh, so just the, the fact that they could build a new house that mm -hmm. uh, housed their children, their whole family, yeah. is a wonderful thing. And one gentleman said he was able to buy a cow, mm -hmm. which is a huge amount of money there. So it's, it's a massive testimony. And I think the biggest transformation that we kept hearing was the harmony within the household, mm -hmm. the harmony amongst the village, just how well they were interacting with each other and how their lives had been transformed in that regard. And I think inside of that was hope. You know, hope is, and the reaching out for, towards hope is, is uh, in transforming in itself. So. Yeah. Wonderful times, wonderful mm -hmm. stories that we heard. Uh, this next uh, slide just shows the cattle business. Uh, Melissa just mentioned that one guy bought a cow. It's big business. Uh, it's huge. Um, 
to get into cattle farming. And so to, just even to start with one is, is a great start. And so our prayer is that uh, he's able to kind of continue and then to grow and to get another one and then to start his own herd in, in that way. So Zambia is very similar to Alberta. Like we could argue with them about whose beef is better. It's Zam beef everywhere, and mm-hmm. that's like you see cattle everywhere, and they they brag about their beef, and I'm like, nah, our beef is better. They're like, no, it's not ours; it's better. So it's, <laughs> it's a real thing. So to be able to break into that business at that like grassroots level is, is mm-hmm. pretty huge. It's very huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd like to just turn this uh, time for a few minutes uh, over to you. Um, we've been sharing a, a fair amount of the history and the partners, and then. Uh, what happened on the ground, or are there any questions that you have that uh, we might be able to provide answers for? Or? Many of the questions posed were not recorded, so I will relay them to the best of my ability here in order for you to better understand the answers. First question, you mentioned that there is more demand for the Village Savings Program, so do people ever exit the program and allow spots for different people, or how does the program expand its capacity to meet those needs? All right, so you're asking about the composition and how does it grow, or what are other capacities of growth? I'll turn it to you. Um, we did hear on an individual village level that sometimes people drop out, mostly because they don't meet obligations, so they're almost kind of kicked out, because if they don't deposit the equal amount of everybody else or something like that, then they can't continue in the group. And so then new members would come on. We did meet some groups that grew so large that they needed to split into two because it just became unmanageable to have 50 members in one VSLA, so they would split into two or three different groups so that more uh, members can join in those villages. But beyond the 100 30 groups that we have right now, it's strictly a capacity problem because Benjamin can't manage all of those groups, right? Because he can't get out to more than 130 villages. It's just not possible. So part of it is um, funding capacity, right? We, we have committed as a church to give them $15,000 U.S., every year. Uh, Last year we need to give them more because we were at risk of dropping some of those groups from support if we send more money. So we had to send an extra $5,000 halfway through the year. Um, So that'll be a discussion going forward of if we're sending enough because, I mean, we don't want... We're seeing such great transformation. We don't want to risk losing anybody off the program. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is strictly a capacity problem. So any of the villages around the area where there's VSLAs hear about it and they're asking for them on their own but without the proper things like the lockbox doesn't work because you're trusting somebody with all this cash that they can get into very easily right and it's a huge temptation if you're starving right to have that money so it's a capacity issue on our part right now. So I was just wondering how we're involved in making change because if they're the ones volunteering and they have to make their own money to receive money are we paying for the training of the staff or our partners or where is that money going yeah so as a church what we support is um, the staff that we introduce none of those staff members are volunteer those are all paid positions um, we don't pay for all of their positions obviously world renew has their own staffing that lends support to our program but we we provide money for trainings and um, benjamin we have supported his position since he came on so we pay for at least half of his his salary is what we do and Penius is new and we're not funding him at all they actually received a grant for one year and it's renewable up to three years um, for him to come on so 
um, the volunteers are the level below Benjamin. There's a facilitator from each congregation, which we'll get to a little bit in more detail when we talk about the structure of the board. But um, there's a local facilitator who's usually a farmer, somebody of a high status in the village, who volunteers to do this training and oversee it within their congregation. I was wondering if or how we're supporting any schools. Um, are the school-aged children going or...? Um, so Zambia has changed in the last five years where now school is free, so there's no school fees, which is wonderful on the surface, but it's created this problem where the government can't afford to pay for more teachers, so you have classrooms with 80 kids in the classroom which is not a sustainable model, right? So you have kids in there with 79 other kids. Are they really learning anything, right? So universal education, sure, but it's not reality quite yet. They're still working through that. They also changed it so that grades one to three are now taught in the local language, and then it switches to instruction in English starting in grade four, which is really good for building that um, literacy and numeracy in these kids who, who come to school not understanding English yet, um, but hard on the teachers because the teachers get placed anywhere in the country, so they might be teaching in a language that's not their local language, so there's some things that need to be worked out there. Mm -hmm. The question was, are they facing any persecution? Uh, no, Zambia is very much a Christian country and very held high value, um, the word of God and, and Christian value, so there is no persecution in that sense. But we did, uh, just to add to this, make a point of asking each congregation, like each VSLA, if it was only RCZ members in the group. And they said, no, it's open to anybody in the village. So we have people who are Catholic, we have people who are Anglican, people who are from the United Baptist. Church, Baptist. So they're letting it, like, it's, it's in, which is what we wanted. We didn't want it to just be an RCZ program, right? Because that just is creating some sort of disparity. So it's a very open, love your neighbor kind of program, which is great. Yeah, if it was just RCZ, it would also create walls. Right, so we don't we don't need those walls. Cool. Any other questions? So Jared's question is: Is it a fully cash society? Um, in town, you can use debit, and that's like we could. Um, but when you're talking about these local village people, it's fully cash because for them to be able to get into town to access a bank would probably cost all the money they had to put in the bank anyways. So that's part of the beauty of the VSLAs is then their money is held in their village, so they don't have to travel to access it. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the uh, talk a little bit about the Madsamoyle board. So this was after church on Sunday when Dale finished preaching after the three and a half hour church service that Rev Zulu cut short. Because <laughs> 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 each choir wanted to sing two songs and he was like, no, this is enough, one each and then we're done. So um, in this group, there's like the staff members that we introduced and our team and a few of the local bishops. The gentleman on the far end is the chairman of the board right now in Madsamoyo. So that's Jairus. Was his last name Puri? I'll just say it is. I don't think it is. It's Monza. <laughs> um, and then uh, in front with the sunglasses on is Pastor Longo? Longo? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so he is also has an honorary position on the board to help oversee it. And he takes care of the Madsamoyo Training Center. So, so anybody who's traveled with us before, we often stayed at the training center. He's now in charge of that. Um, so the, the way that the board is comprised is that there's basically 10 large congregations in the Madsamoyo area that belong to RCZ. So each of those 10 congregations then selects people from within the church 
to join the board. They're elected to join the board, and those people essentially become the facilitators at the village level. So it's a four-year term. They have yep, to, they have to commit to being in that role for four years, doing the facilitating and the training and all of that, and uh, that's how the board is structured right now. Cool. Um, let's uh, just give you a little view of this uh, Madzumoyo compound, uh, where the retreat center is, the conference center and all that. So if we play the video, I'll give you a little bit of a running commentary on the left. We saw the reception. There's some uh, dormitories right over there. This round structure is where the caretaker sleeps and lives. Um, that's also another uh, uh, dormitory. This is the dining hall. The white building is the dining hall. And the cookhouse is there underneath that shed roof uh, right there. There's a gathering of people. I have no idea who they are. But uh, they're just a clear space over there. And then um, a little further off to the right, we went. turn the corner, there's the uh, conference center, which is where we met. And we're back at the reception center, where they also have some dormitories on either end. So that just kind of gives you a view of the whole compound. Uh, tried to stand in the middle of that uh, to give you a view of uh, that. So, um, what happens there on uh, that compound? What, what goes on with the board and what are their activities? We're about to share that. Yeah, so for anybody who's been around for a while, has seen the oil press, right? Smelled the oil press, heard the oil press. Um, we, we sponsored the oil press uh, 13 years ago, probably, uh, and it is still running, which is very exciting. And mm -hmm. so um, they're using it uh, to press oil from sunflowers and... Well, I think so it was say, just sunflower. So just sunflower? Anyway, so people will bring their crops in, and then the board charges a fee to press it into oil. And if they do seed loans, then any of the seed that's repaid to them, they press and they sell the oil in the market to raise a profit. So, mm -hmm. All right, so 50 kgs um, produced uh, 12 to 14 liters, if you didn't hear that. Um, I, I think it was quite distinct when we ate some of the, the foods. You, you could really uh, tell that there was they were using a sunflower oil, and so... Um, they were selling that um, 27 quatches, they said, $2 Canadian for one liter. If they're making uh, 14 liters, you do the math. Um, yeah, sounds like it's pretty good business. Uh, the next slide is of the shed. This is where the local board used to meet. We would often have meetings with them here as well, and there's a bit of a storage shed for seed and that sort of thing. Um, right now it is being used as a dormitory because there are so many students at the high school, there's not room for them in the dorm, so it's full of kids. <laughs> so that's some rental income. <laughs> Speaking of rental income, there's a rental house which uh, the river supported. It was a project that was supported. I think I heard that Nathan was there helping to build yep. a little bit to all uh, in yep. the... Ed, Quentin, Ed. a whole bunch of people were there helping all build right. it, yeah. So this is uh, fully operational and has been constantly uh, rented out, so mm -hmm. it's a good source of income for the board. Um, and then there is... They're building another house because the rental house was such a great source of income and all it needs is flooring and windows, except for needs flooring and windows, and right now it has their poultry business inside it, so whoever that lucky <laughs> teacher is is going to have some feathers in there when they start <laughs> renting, but they're using what they have, so... All right, so that's kind of an overview of what the board does. The board raises money so that they can then afford to bring people in, the board members to, to travel in, because some travel from quite a distance. Mm -hmm. So they might take, hire a motorcycle or a taxi to, to retrieve them and bring them into town, uh, pays for some other meals and so on and so forth. So there are some expenses that they incur um, that they then become self-sustaining and they're not reliant on 
um, charity to keep that board going. And some training. They did. The reason the house isn't finished is because they decided to take the money and do a training class together instead of finishing the house. So I think that's great forward mm -hmm. thinking on their part. Yep. Cool. Anything more on the board? Well, probably it'll come to me later. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's, um, let's just uh, share a little bit about our partnership reflections, questions that uh, we might have. Um, what would you like to tell us? As you reflected back on this trip, uh, back on this whole partnership, what, what, comes, what first comes to your mind? Well, the first thing is what I put on the slide, which we've talked about a little bit already. But um, on the left, you can see it says 2017. And this is when we were there. We were bean counting, asking the villages what was most important to them. And so that's what we did that whole trip was a survey basically with them to identify their priorities. Uh, and this is the same congregation. So you can see in this picture the men and women are separated right, as, we're, as we're doing this work. And the same congregation is the one that then told us it was hard to do the gender training and all of that, but now they're intermingled and they're harmonious and they're, they're talking about how their lives have transformed. So being able to actually see that when I went back in my pictures and see how this one specific congregation has changed, it's huge. Like, to, I've been going for so long, right? I was on the 2007 scouting trip. There have been so many changes that are hard to articulate, even just with the schooling, like we talked about with Rob, and um, with underage marriage being discouraged now, and uh, fewer kids being born, and families. Like, there's been so many changes, but they're hard to quantify and hard to really share, come back and share w with a group of people who maybe haven't been there before. But to be able to put this up and say, this is the exact same congregation and this is the change in the last five years, mm -hmm. I find very inspiring. Yeah, this was my first trip there. So um, as I think about it, um, we had the opportunity to meet up with Alphonsius, who was one of our, our first bridgers. Uh, in 2010, he was our bridger, yeah. In 2010. So we met up with him. He's now working for World Vision, but we met up with him and his family. And um, I had been asking questions of the group as to, I'd like to know more of the context of Zambia. I want to know more of the context of Madzamoyo and, and all that. And uh, just, you know, just so you know, I'm going to be asking questions like that. And so uh, Alphonsius uh, made a comment as we were meeting with him. He says, oh, Zambia is such a beautiful country. And uh, I thought, I'm just going to probe that a little bit. I said, so what makes you say that Zambia is a beautiful country? And his response was people. He talked about the people. He talked about how beautiful they were, how gracious they were, how at peace they were. He started to give us a history lesson on, on the country of Zambia, saying they have never had a civil war. In fact, they are a resource to other countries around them. They are kind of like the Sweden in all of, uh, in all of Africa. They're just a beautiful people. And, and that was really impressed upon me as I continued to journey throughout the villages and so on, and, and just to see that, uh, how true that was. One of the questions that uh, came up um, that was uh, asked again and again is like, are partner trips necessary? You know, it's a hard question to ask. You know, should we have just sent money instead of actually sending uh, people? And so we even asked them. And apparently this question has been asked again and again. Multiple times. We want to make sure we're good stewards of our resources and doing the right thing for the people. And the response every time is, yes, you need to come you need to be here, you need to promote the relationship, you need to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's always a resounding yes, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was quite pleased to hear that from them as well. 
I suppose we could have just offered, hey, we'll just give you some money. They said, no, we want you, you to come. They, they want that partnership. One of the things that really impressed me while I was there was um, you talked about the fact that it was a Christian country, but their dedication to the word was enviable. How much they loved the word and dived into it and opened it. As I was preaching, I'd mention a different verse and suddenly you see more pens come out and notepads and and Bibles and so on and they're taking notes and and, um, just the meetings themselves, the village savings and loans meetings always started with with a word from God and then a little bit of training and some topic that came out of that word from God and just how... How dedicated they were um, to, the, to the Lord's words uh, to them, to inform them, uh, to instruct them, and I would say even to transform them. So uh, it was quite enviable, I thought, on my part. Um, through that, um, I had a translator um, while I was preaching in the um, Madzumoyo congregation, and um, it was Reverend James Luongo. And I, message, I thanked uh, everybody, you know, sharing the pulpit, giving me space. I thanked Reverend Luongo, because then I did, and I said, you're going to make me sound good. <laughs> and, um, but just a good connection with him, he asked me for, uh, if we could share contact information uh, along with another pastor in the trip. And so I look forward to ongoing interactions with these pastors over the next little while and, and uh, to discover how uh, we might um, be able to uh, connect and continue this partnership. I did ask outright, um, uh, it was uh, Lemon who uh, responded to the question of how can we engage more in this partnership, and, and Lemon said, uh, the, the youth. You know, our youth can talk with your youth. Your youth can have an impact on our uh, people, and our people could, you know, uh, probably uh, share good things with your people, with your youth. And so, uh, kind of like pen pals of old, WhatsApp is, is used widely out there. And so uh, if uh, any of the youth, I saw some of them with phones, uh, they would have access to that. And so maybe that's something that we can look at down the road is the connections that uh, might happen that way. But I do think um, we are planning for next year to go, January. Are we thinking January? It'll probably be about the same time, emerald season. Emerald season. Let's get rained out. (laughs) We had rain a lot of days that we were in Madsamoyle, either in late evening or... um, early afternoon, but uh, it was, it's beautiful time. But uh, I do think that um, I'm, we're going to put the plug out there right now. If, if this is something that uh, uh, is perhaps stirring within your heart, uh, we would invite you to uh, lean into that in prayer and ask, uh, well, what can I do to prepare to go uh, for next year? And we would invite you to come along. And we're, of course, we're looking for this gender diversity. We we're yes, I was have to say, hold to it. I want everybody to be able to come, but we're going to have to you know, not always be a team of women going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. Any other uh, comments about the partnership? Just thank you for your support for the last 15 years. It, it is tremendous the amount of people whose lives have actually changed mm-hmm. by something that, you know, we can give money here and barely think about it. But these are people's lives changing forever for good and they are so grateful. So they asked us to bring back thanks. So here it is. Thank mm-hmm. you. If you think that there's 130 village savings and loans, and each one has an average of 8 to 15, who's, got, who's good on math? Let's say it was, who's good on math? How many is that? What, what's the range? 130 people times 8 or 130 times 15? Just... <laughs> 
Well, that's 1,300 people. <laughs> yes, 10. So I think that's just even of itself. We know that there are 1,300 people whose lives have been impacted uh, through this partnership and the efforts uh, that they have been putting on the ground there. Well, 1,300 households. Right, right. Which could be 1,300 households, very good. Five people in each house, mm -hmm. so already it's exponential. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 6,500. Did I do the math right? All right. Um, when we were at the board, we met with the board, the Madsen-Moyle board, um, on the last day, and they asked me to, have, to make some closing remarks. And so I asked them to turn to Philippians 1, verses 3 to 6. And I invited them to view these verses as a communal um, prayer as a communal thanksgiving because we are saying this about them but we are asking them to say these verses about us as well and so it says we thank God every time we remember you so that's our challenge that every time we think of Mazamoyo we thank God every time we remember them in all of our prayers for all of them we always pray with joy joy I hope you got a sense of the celebration that we encountered as, as we did uh, when we were there. Because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, and, and this is, I think, is really key, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That all the good work that is happening there in Madsen will continue on and, um, and bring it to completion. This is our prayer for them as it is their prayer for us. And then I actually closed with this prayer. So if you would, uh, please join me in this prayer. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of sight within the people in Madsenmoyle and here at the river. So that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this recording. Just a reminder that you can find our website at rivercommunity.ca. There you can find our events calendar with information about upcoming messages and gatherings or sign up for currents. Feel free to send us a message on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Our services start 10 o'clock Sunday mornings, and you are welcome to come early for coffee, tea, and bagels. Have a great week. Bye-bye.